Awesome, Kelly. Uh, excited for this episode, by the way. As I mentioned to you previously, we've been trying to get this sorted for quite a while now. So persistence always uh, creates good things, which I'm sure it will in this. Uh, it will be reflected in the content of this episode, or at least I hope so. I hope so too, Esteban. <laughs> awesome, Kelly. Well, thanks for being here. Very, very excited. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I always, I always enjoy having people with, with, uh, you know, and, and this is probably a fun fact for you to know, but I've, I've actually discovered that merchandisers tend to be the, the people that want to be on, on podcasts the most, and I guess want to share information. Really the funny. Most. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, right? I thought it would be like maybe, uh, you know, creatives or something like that, but it's, it's, it's always been either merchandisers or or people that work in like logistics and supply chain which is also those are very also, different roles and very different people yeah it is it is and you know what and I, I didn't expect people that work in logistics and supply chain to really enjoy you know the, the public sort of aspect of just chatting on on podcast you know but uh awesome so on to the episode of course because i can start chatting about all these small things forever i love uh, it I do want to. I do want my audience to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, so, Kelly, can you tell us a little bit more about? And what I mean a little bit, you can dive in uh, as as deeply and as broadly as you want of what your story has been like. So, what's what's been your story, Kelly? Sure. Um, I think that's a great question. Um, let me see. So, I started my retail career um, kind of, you know, in the stores. I. I was in high school. I started working in stores, you know, when I could first get of my first job. Um, and I worked for the express, uh, mm -hmm. in the mall by my house. Um, and I always loved fashion and I always loved kind of style and being, being, being able to create your own point of view through how you dressed and what you wore. Um, and so I did that and I always really wanted to work for the gap. Um, you know, I had friends that worked there in high school and I thought, oh, I want to go there. I want the discount. I want to dress, like, <laughs> wear all my favorite clothes. Typical. And, um, and so I actually got a job working at the Cap in high school. Mm -hmm. um, it was store 141, which is on Burlingame Avenue. I grew up in California. Uh -huh. And um, I did that and I transferred when I went to school um, in New York. I transferred to the Gap store in New York and I did not like the experience. It was just very different. Um, the hours were different. The scheduling was different. And I had been forewarned that it was different on the East Coast versus West Coast. But I thought, no, I'm going to do it. It's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. And um, I tried. I didn't like it. So I left. I ended up working at FAO Schwartz in the Barbie division, selling like fancy Barbie dolls um, while I was in college. And then um, I worked for a couple other retailers and kind of finished school and was like, okay, I don't want to do retail anymore. Um, mm -hmm. So I did a bunch of different things um, and ended up coming back to California for the summer. I was doing a, a project out here for the summertime and I thought, oh, I need to just make some extra money on top of what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So I um, got a contracting role and the first year I came back, I got a contract role with Levi's mm -hmm. and I went and I worked at Levi's and I just did sample coordinating and basic things. And I thought, oh, this is really cool to see how they operate. Um, and then the following year I came back out and I did the same thing, but I got a job at The Gap. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I started working there um, supporting the Gap body business, the personal care fragrance business, which was kind of up and coming at the time. It had just, yeah. they had just launched their businesses. And um, 
I was contracting for someone who was on maternity leave and it was time when it was time for me to leave. Um, they were like, Oh wait, you have to leave. Like, would you want to stay? Would you ever stay and, and work here? I'm like, Oh, I don't, I live in New York. I, I don't know if I can do that. And they were like, well, would you consider relocating? You know, we'd love to have you. Um, the woman that was, didn't come back from maternity leave. So I thought, well, yeah, let me, you know, let me see if I could do this. So mm-hmm. I called my boyfriend who is now my husband. And I said, Hey, like, do we want to move back to California? There's this really great opportunity. And he was like, Oh, you know, okay. We talked about it, ended up doing it. Best move we made. Um, so I, I really started my career in corporate retail, um, in 2000 working for the gap. And, um, I was there for 14 years, uh, and I worked across various categories, various segments and, um, of the business and with various brands. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was amazing, incredible experience. Um, and you know, I loved everything about it. Um, and back in 2014, before I left the company, you know, I had started exploring with some leaders, what my next step was going to be like, where did I want to go at this point? I had already made a change. So when I started, I was in Gap Body and personal care. And I, I knew I needed to make a change and move into more of an apparel, apparel role or get sure. closer to apparel because that was the core competency of the business. Mm-hmm. And so I took a, took a new opportunity in the outlet segment, which was also a growing segment at the time. And that was exciting for me. Like, how do we drive growth through a business? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I went and I led the kids and well, I started in kids accessories. I took on baby accessories and worked in that business um, in the outlet segment. And then I went on maternity leave and I came back and um, started in the baby division, the baby division. So I was now in the apparel world doing the newborn, the zero to 24 um, business for Gap Outlet in both boys and girls. Um, And then I, you know, I was doing that and I thought, this is awesome. And, you know, what's my next step after this? And I really knew at the time I made the change into the baby division. I also was very interested in e-commerce because Mm -hmm. it was also the, you know, new segment in the business. It was a growing segment in the business. It was kind of the future of retail. Um, And so I thought, how do I get into that world kind of at the ground level so that I can learn about the business? And Mm -hmm. um, I met some leaders. in that business and they, you know, there was no opportunities. I was just learning. Um, and then an opportunity came up and I moved into the online space in probably about 2008. Um, and I worked in old Navy, the men's business, um, Mm -hmm. for online. And then I moved into the baby business, which was great because it was a bigger business than men's. Um, and it, you know, it was this, second largest business, um, right behind the women's business. Mm -hmm. So I took that on and, um, I was there, you know, 2009 through, or 2000 and maybe that was 2012 to 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and I loved it. And at the time when I was looking, my next step was really, um, supposed to take me somewhere back to product. So I had spent all this time away from product Mm -hmm. and I really wanted to own both product for, the total business and for the site, I I wanted to drive the whole global experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And that wasn't a role that really existed in the company at the time. Um, So it was trying to figure out how do I, where do I go from here? Um, And, and I wanted to be um, in more of the total business. I didn't want to just have one small category running, you know, 
I'll just say women's denim. I wanted to do all of women's. I wanted to have a whole perspective on the business. Yeah. So, um, so with that, I, someone had reached out to me, um, that I had worked for before and, uh, they were at Levi's and they reached out and said, you know, would you like to come to Dockers? And I said, Oh, khaki pants. I don't know. Like, you know, I do like the men's business after having spent time in it in old Navy, but Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, do I want to do khaki pants? It's kind of like the brand is kind of, you know, not, you know, like how do we turn around a brand? And then I got excited because I thought, Oh, to be a part of a turnaround of a brand, that's really cool. You're building strategy and kind Mm -hmm. of the right product message for the customer and the right products for the customer. Mm, And so I said, Oh wait, this sounds really exciting. Um, and so I made the change. Um, and it was a hard change because I did love, um, I loved Gap Inc. And I loved everything about the organization and the people um, and the business. But this was a really great new opportunity. Um, and I, and so I went and I made that change. Um, and I was a part of kind of repositioning the Dockers brand and where it was going and building product and product strategies. For the customer, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And we did some incredible work. And we launched um, the Smart 360 Flex Khaki, which is one of their top performing programs now um, in their platform. And we launched an innovation platform that kind of was where all all innovative product, all product with technology went. It was like the technology product platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're the leaders. They're the number one khaki pant brand in. Um, the U.S. and they have a global presence as well. That's a little bit different, um, and so it was really intriguing and a really good challenge for me to kind of jump into that ship and figure out how do you take a brand that's thirty years old and build products that are relevant to the consumer of today mm-hmm. versus the consumer of of you know thirty years ago, um, and how do you start and do that, and how do you learn from what Levi's did, and how do you how do you kind of forge that path forward when you're building brand versus you know, at Gap, the what was great about Gap was it was vertical. You were, you were doing everything in house, and you could make changes and do things immediately for the customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the in the brand platform, selling wholesale with your own fleet and doing all these different things, it was just it's a different approach and it's a different expectation and a different mm-hmm. um, way to reach the consumer because you don't necessarily outside of e-commerce. And if you own stores, have that connection point with the customer like you do when you're in a vertical space. So um, I loved it. It was great. And so that that is um, a little bit about my background. Wow. And was it was it always and it was product focused? So merchandising raw product development roles from the very, very get go of your career? It was. Yes. So I started when I started in Get Body. um, We were making fragrances. You know, we sold pink. Um, mm-hmm. So pink was a product we launched. Close was a product that we launched. Um, we tested cosmetics. We mm-hmm. had lotions and all all kinds of things for your body, candles. Um, mm-hmm. And then I moved in in outlet. It was about kids' sleepwear, um, loungewear, socks, underwear, mm-hmm. shoes. We had a really shoe bi- big shoe business that we kind of built. And we worked on, you know, the, the exciting thing in... Um, when I was in the outlet business was we didn't have production um, mm-hmm. support. We had to do it all on our own, which was different than my time in Get Body. So I had to learn how to work with vendors and our agents overseas to kind of get our product needs met and brief them and source the products uh, mm-hmm. that we were looking to do. And we didn't have a design team. So we were leveraging 
product from the mainline stores to say, oh, what was really good that our consumer in the outlet segment would want from Gap right. brand that's like of part of Gap brand, but also what what does the consumer want today that is part of just a trend and something that you can't just do what you had the year before and you have to do something that is a little bit different and how do we bring that to the marketplace? So in my time there, we really worked on focusing the business and really growing specific categories. So drove significant mm -hmm. growth within um, the shoe business, the um, sock business, the underwear and sleepwear business, which mm -hmm. are really important businesses for the consumer of children's product. Sure. Um, so, you know, worked on that and worked on bringing just a new design approach into the mix because I'm not a designer, although all merchants love to be designers and not, <laughs> uh, for the most part, I'll, I'll be honest, like everybody That's loves true. to put a little creative spin on something yeah. um, without even realizing it, we do it, you know, and, um, <sighs> but, you know, that was not my core competency and I didn't have the time to do all of those things work your that, butt off to get good at it well much. Yeah. you know yeah i mean i just didn't have the technical competency you know i yeah, i yeah. you know having yeah, aesthetic is the one talent, thing but yeah so um so but we we ended up starting to work with third parties and vendors to you know create products that we could we could utilize and sell and drive um our consumer needs through which was a great new approach for the business and not something that we had been doing because most of the time we had our own design teams designing the products and this mm -hmm. was working a little bit a little bit differently um at the time it was you know fairly innovative but um but exciting wow and after you know, there's so many questions i want to ask you i guess the first one i want to ask you based on everything that you said is when when you made that transition or from you know oh i mean going going a little bit back uh, when when you're yeah. introducing those new products uh mm -hmm. you said that you have to you need to have a focused approach of course but when you're when yes. you're trying to expand product attack categories is it is it a more focused approach okay first we need to develop this this is what we have to focus until this is done or is it more about you know we have to develop as much product as we can as soon as possible um you know for me it's about making sure you have the right strategy in place to develop the product. Uh -huh. So, so to start that process, you have to know who you're developing for. You have to know your consumer uh -huh. and you have to know what they're looking for from you as a brand. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of people, I could make a lot of different stuff, uh, different things. And I could say, here, let's throw all this stuff in a plate in one place and see what sticks. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not really serving the brand um, and who the brand is and what the consumer knows and loves from a brand or why they shop at a brand and what they expect to find or what they would like to find. Mm -hmm. And so you have to know a little bit about that. And then you also, you know, for me, it's understanding the market and the trends in the marketplace, like what is happening in the mar marketplace, micro and macroeconomic mm -hmm. uh, trends. And then also how does that apply to the space that you're selling in, you know, what's happening in that segment that would tell you consumers are looking for this or they're mm -hmm. looking, you know, consumers in the future will be looking for this. And how do you start to bring that to them mm -hmm. at a time when they may or may not know they need it, but they, it's something that they get excited about finding. Of course. Um, so, so it's kind of doing a little bit of that before you then say, these are the specific details of what I need. Mm -hmm. I don't like to 
have a preconceived notion, I may have an idea and I may say, oh, this could be something, but I also want to make sure that I'm not personalizing because I may not be the consumer. I may not be the target for that. And, and I think sometimes we fall into that trap of, well, I don't like it. Yeah. You romanticize what you want versus what the market or what the customer actually wants. Right. And, or being, you know, for me too, it's about being the brand steward, right? Mm -hmm. I, as, as someone who is developing product for any brand, if I, if it, whether it's for Dockers, whether it's for Old Navy, I need to think about that consumer and my brand heritage and Mm -hmm. what makes the most amount of sense. So I can give you an example in my time in Old Navy, um, you know, Old Navy's was a great brand to be in. Lots of fun. It's, you know, f- fun fashion for the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in the baby business, we were really trying to look at how do we, how do we bring something that, you know, can be unique to the brand, um, and, but something you would expect to find, but also how can we do something that the market isn't doing in the same way? And so, we created, um, you know, I looked back at the heritage of where the brand had been and what they're known for. And the mm-hmm. you know, graphics were super important at the time, and, um, you know, for the brand and how they were created. And so we created some specific graphic programs for a baby that tied mm-hmm. back to family, that tied back to, um, you know, the emotion of being a new parent and having uh, babies and, you know, having aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas and birthdays and you know the the first birthday all those milestone moments mm-hmm. how do we how do we build graphics that support that um and so we did that and we did it exclusively online and um it was successful out of the gate and then it, it started to become something that could roll out into stores um and they could take it and make it bigger because mm-hmm. they have a bigger distribution um and and so it's something that you know we we put online before you know, it was exclusive online and then it, it kind of rolled out into the stores and became a bigger play. But, you know, it was based on the knowledge of the customer, the mm-hmm. brand, and, you know, what they would be looking for, not based on you what know, you oh, want. I, re- I really like that. Or I want yeah, to, yeah. you know, cause I would love to make, I would have loved to made tons <laughs> of organic baby products at the time, you know, and, yeah, yeah, and, and cotton based only and all these different things. And, but that wasn't where the market was. It wasn't where the consumer was. It wasn't necessarily where the brand was. And so you're like, Oh, how do I, you know, I can't do that. What else could we do that would, that would be something that would bring um, a need, uh, serve the need of the consumer course and what happens in in a situation where because you as you said you always have to stick to what the brand is about and get creative on how you can approach this what the brand is about differently in in, in a way that you know nobody else is doing but what about what when you come across situations where because it's it's probably a hard balance to get to you know where you're creating product that is uh, loyal to what the brand stands for but at the same time it's, it's being new. It's being, it's being something that's never been done before. So what, what's your approach or what, what's some of the challenges that happen when, you know, maybe the, what the market actually wants is something that is not very close to what the brand actually stands for. Oh, that is such a good question, Esteban. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think it's interesting. Um, It's an interesting question because sometimes you have to choose where you're going to play and sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to choose where you're not going to play um or you're going to choose how you play like how how do you bring something to the consumer if 
if the trend is streetwear, right, and we look at the street market and we look at what's happening um, and it's all about color and we're rolling back to the 80s or the 90s and it's, you know, about oversized and the market is moving and, and you, you are a tailored brand mm-hmm. who, you know, brings a tailored interpretation for work, not for street, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, course. You, is this even somewhere I play? Or in today's market and today's world, that might be a spin you put on your product and how do you interpret that for your business? So if it is about oversized, maybe instead of having a fitted blazer, you're if you're doing something that's a little bit less fitted, that's a little um, more of a boyfriend fit or a, mm-hmm. a boxy fit. Um, and you may play there or you may not. You just say, oh, that's not a trend I want to play in, but I can play in the color trend and I can bring primary colors into the mix or it's about neons and I can bring some neon hits or accents. And, you know, and that's the play. But, you know, those are creative choices that the brief would, the brief from a, a product standpoint would have to make sense to where Mm -hmm. the business is going, you know, and, and then you'd have to work from a design standpoint to ask, is this something we want to play in? Does it make sense? How would we do it? What does it look like? Would the consumer get it? Do we need to test it? Uh (laughs) You know, there are so many questions you have to ask. It's such a complicated transition. You just don't know. I mean, and some people will just go do it and you see if it fails, but if you're working in certain size businesses, the, you know, high risk, high reward sort of thing. Of course, of yeah. course. Wow, and Jesus, that's that kind of that kind of messed me up a bit because you you saw that happening, especially now with what you said it perfectly with the whole streetwear movement. And yeah. In the cases of brands that you know don't find themselves in that space uh, due to whatever reason, either because it's too far off to what they actually stand for, just because they don't want to take the type of decisions or those types of risks. What are those, what are the, I guess they take, I'm guessing they take sort of like an expectator mode ish sort of approach Do when they're, when they're in that position where they don't decide to go for the trend, do they then focus on who their true customer is or what customer is there to focus on, to focus their product on? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think, I think the interesting thing about the global world that we live in is uh-huh. there's so many different consumers today and different types of consumers and how people consume information and where they get it from and where they're inspired by. And now you have influencers and you have so many different realms and information is right at your fingertips to, mm-hmm. to choose who and how and where you're going to target. Um, that I think there's always going to be a consumer that you can reach. It's, it's really about how big do you want it to be Mm -hmm. or do you want it to, do you want to do it because it gives you a moment of interest and something to speak differently about. And it may not be a very big idea long-term, but it creates some kind of niche loyal. Yeah, exactly. You know, you look at, you look at um, premium brands and they do it really well because you know, they, they play in areas that you don't expect in ways mm-hmm. you don't expect. And then you're, you're pleasantly surprised and you're like, wow, like I would not have expected that from Burberry. I wouldn't have expected that from Louis Vuitton or Gucci or, you know, and you're just like, this is insane, you know, and, and mm-hmm. people are buying it and selling it. And, you know, now everybody wants a Supreme collaboration or everybody wants to do, you know, collaborations to try to help their brand reach that different consumer that they may not be playing in or, or, playing with 
Of course. And yeah, I mean, as, as you said, it, it, and that's, that's what's exciting also about the industry and where we are now. There's so, there's so many space for so many different things just because of the vast amount of people that really are looking for the things that you're looking for. Uh, and it can, I mean, it also depends on the scale you want to take the business to. Of course, there has to be markets that are big enough. But in the other end, that's, that's exactly how luxury brands approach it. You know, it's, it's, it's more of a, I don't know if, if, if luxury brands at the scale of, you know, Louboutin and, and all these huge luxury groups, but small yeah. brands, they started as, you know, basically art projects because they had this very specific thing in mind uh, yeah. that a lot of very specific people were able to relate to. And it was viable to scale that, that, that story, that image. Yes. Uh, when, it, when it comes to, you know, and this is, this is probably going to be a, another hard question for you, Kelly, but when it comes to, you know, bigger brands, you know, worldwide, world, worldwide brands like The Gap or, or Levi's or any of you, you're not allowed to talk about any specifics based on these brands, but brands that cannot get into a spot where, you know, this is something that we have to do because there's not a market big enough for us to not take action in this direction when it comes to our product. What is their approach or is it? And, and let me know if I asked it properly because I know it was, it was, uh, I didn't ask it very, well, very well. Let me, let me see if I understand the question. So mm -hmm. it's, if there, if, if a trend is happening in the market um, that we see that is so big because it's going to be the future mm -hmm. that they have to find a way to play. Is that yeah. what you're asking? How do Pretty they much, even yes. go about doing that? Exactly. So I'm talking about, you know, trends that, completely disrupt the way product was being made maybe technical yeah. te technological trends or just cultural changes political changes things that happen every once in a while that can either you know either make brands or break brands yeah no i i think that's a great question and i think you know i think in the apparel space and in uh -huh. retail in general we are seeing a major ch change in exactly. trend mm -hmm. in the consumer and in how they want to consume, um, but also in the need for our environment to, mm -hmm. you know, be able to have a, f a future, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of different things happening and we see fast fashion kind of having to shift and, and you see what happens to some of those brands. Mm -hmm. And now it's becoming more about how do you make product that is friendly to the environment? Mm -hmm. um, and you see a lot of different changes and things happening in the market with rental, with, um, you know, recycled goods, with new fabrications that are coming to in, into play. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because probably six or seven years ago, there were some brands and people exploring how do you, how do you bring sustainable product or fabrics or details or what, what about sustainability is important. And now you see so many more because it's a part of, the, it's a part of the everyday. It's a part of what we do. You know, recycling is mm -hmm. important in not just what we consume through food or um, in boxes of things that we purchase, but in, in how, in the clothes that we wear and the fabrics that we make and being able to recycle those so that we don't have the carbon, um, our carbon footprints can be better and we're not mm. putting bad chemicals and things out into the, into the air and into the world. Of course. Yeah. Just, just, it's becoming just general lifestyle expectations now. I, th I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, but you see that the market is shifting, right. And mm -hmm. it's starting to be some, something that people can talk about and mm -hmm. that, and that activities and actions have been made in the, 
um, in the fabric world, I think it's huge. And in the, Mm -hmm. in textiles as well, you know, it, it, it is shifting and changing. And I think that's interesting and it's creating a new approach and a new way to bring bring product to life that mm-hmm. maybe was a little bit different technology did that to us all you know also you know mm-hmm. because technology changed how we get information and how we do things that you know it, it you had to start applying different things and the internet and in e-commerce really changed the store experiences for so many people and you know mm-hmm. i mean it brought the direct to consumer to life in a different way. And and that changes how you sell your products to consumers and what that looks like. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you're a big brand and you're following things like that, you have to figure out what that means to your brand and how you, mm-hmm. how you make it, how you, how you bring it to life or you don't, and you find a different approach path because, yeah. you know, in the trends world, there's usually 12, 10, 12, 10 trends, right? And mm-hmm. you can pick how you play and where you want to play um, that you think is going to have the most impact and what's going to resonate most with your consumer through that experience. Wow, that's fascinating. And I mean, I probably want to ask one other difficult question before we actually start having sort of a break because my brain is also working real yeah, fast you're just, right you now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Throw yeah, it yeah. all out while, you know, because you're, you know, I'm starting to sweat. No, I'm yeah. <laughs> so am I. So am I. Trust me. Uh, especially because English, English is not my native language. So I'm really pushing my cognitive ability here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So that, that being said, because it is scary to think, especially analyzing what's happening nowadays with. But just this, I mean, and fashion has always been a very, very fast uh, changing industry. But the amount of change uh, that's taking place right now is just exponential to, compared to what it was even 10, uh, not even 10, maybe even seven years ago. And mm-hmm. things look like they're only going to get faster through, you know, the ability that we have as humans to communicate through social media, to put our opinions out there, to learn from each other. So uh, the consumer itself is going to change even quicker. In, in the years to come. Yeah. Uh, and, and what's interesting to see is because of, of you know, businesses sort of trying to adapt to the, to the speed that the consumer is changing to, you know, business models like Zara and fast fashion started taking place, but we're seeing that they're not sustainable businesses. And when it comes to, you know, what the consumers actually want in the long run, mm-hmm. uh, where do you see that going? Let's say 10 years into the future. Do you think uh, there's a need for, uh, technologies that can allow uh, higher rate or higher speed uh, production or product development, or do you think it's going to be a new approach where companies will, or and this is probably more of, of your personal opinion, what you would like to see in the future, yeah. or do you think companies are, are going to be more focused on, okay, how can we, uh, yes, adapt to the speed that the consumer is changing, but not necessarily through product, but through mm-hmm. different things. Oh, wow. That was like, there's so much in that question. I'm going to try to give you my point of view on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I do think that we're going to see lots of changes continue in the market in Mm -hmm. how people engage with brands, with companies, with everything. Um, And I think that, you know, I don't know if it's about being, I think, I think the fast mechanism is something that you know, people are trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, some brands have figured it out. Some people have figured it out, right? Um, because people do get information so much faster and mm-hmm. they, the news is out globally before some people could even have swallowed, you know, mm-hmm. to, to know about it. Um, 
I, but I do think, I don't know, I don't know if I'm a firm believer and, and I, I mean, I'm a believer of it, but I, but I don't know that it's necessary to be mm-hmm. as fast as we think we need to for disposable things or to bring, um, you know, innovation as quickly as it's starting to come. It's mm-hmm. just going to happen. It happens naturally. Right. Um, and it will slow down and something else will pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do think though is going to be important is how we consume the goods and the personalization effect that, that it, the world has with the internet and with social media and with mm-hmm. consum- consumer consumption. Um, mm-hmm. How can, how can we, start to get to a place where you can create product based on what someone wants Mm -hmm. and it's, and it's more personalized Mm -hmm. and not just personalized where you can put your initials in it, but like you can go into, you can go somewhere and actually create a product for your needs and have it made in the moment Mm -hmm. or in that second and, and then, and then take it with you. And Mm -hmm. it becomes something that you have and whether it's about quality, if you're a quality brand or whether it's about, you know, just something that's niche and fun, I think that will become more important because people have so many things. If you look at some of the consumer groups today, it's, it's not about having more things. It's about the experience Mm -hmm. and personalization gives you the experience along with something to keep and take with you. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, we, d- we don't get to take all of the stuff that we make and we have and we do with us in the mm-hmm. world. So it becomes more about, you know, is it about having as many things as you want or is it having about having a few good things or special things mm-hmm. and how do you create that um, for people to consume? And that's a personal, that's my, my personal, you know, like something I'm mindful of at home. Mm-hmm with my son, who's a young person and, you know, I'm not old, but I, you know, but you know, he's much younger than I am. Um, But it's, it's things like that where, you know, I don't, I don't know that we need as many things, you know, people had big giant houses and everybody now wants to downsize and we're talking about tiny homes and how do you, how do you build tiny homes and create more space for more people to live? um, Cause you don't need as many things as you have. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's an interesting time and there's a lot happening and that's coming really fast. And, um, I'm excited to see kind of how we continue to evolve and what, you know, how globalization and the ability to experience so many different things, um, and be overwhelmed at times kind of Mm -hmm. translates into the consumer's purchase pattern and how they buy their clothes and what they wear and what their needs are. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and what does that look like in the future? It's, I don't know. It could be really different. Awesome. And it's probably going to be, and this is again, also just me brainstorming on, on based on what you said, that it's, it's probably going to take a direction more, more, a more technical, technical, technological uh, direction just due to the fact, because I mean, people have, you know, you guys as product developers and mentorizers have the biggest issue, which is, you know, scaling product to that speed. Yeah. Uh, requires there's so many different there's so many factors that are involved in product creation uh, yep. factors of scale factors of production factors in raw materials that have so many unpredictable cons- tangible consequences in either uh, people or our environment that you don't have through technology uh, so yeah. finding finding ways to enhance that experience through through something that does not have the, the negative effects of scaling something like product uh, does is definitely something that, that I'm personally very interested to see where it leads. Uh, yeah. 
Um, I, I agree. I agree, Esteban. I think it is going to be interesting to see where it leads. And it is going to be necessary that it that it is technology that helps support where we go in that path because, you know, we can't we can scale a lot of different ideas, but if the consumer doesn't choose it, then you end up with a lot of waste and you end exactly. up with a lot of excess product. And then you have, you know, markdowns in the market and all of these different things that, you know, aren't necessarily what we should be doing. So how do we get away from that? And how do we bring the right things to people? That That is something that you, there is an art and science and sometimes that science or that science is now going to need to be filled through technology. Awesome. Yeah. Very, very exciting. Now, Kelly, uh, going past the difficult, the, the, the difficult stage of the podcast. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm, as, as you said, I'm also sweating a little bit here now. <laughs> And, and it must I don't be want, hot where you yeah, are. Yeah, and, and I don't want to risk my uh, I don't want to risk the the perception, like the false perception of my intelligence being put at risk by trying to handle these tough conversations anymore. Okay. So, uh, so what what am I gonna do? Is I do I, I also like people to have some sort of tangible idea or have at least this sort of golden nugget of something they can start applying in their personal, you know, their personal journeys, being that they're starting fashion businesses or they're executives that are trying to improve their career, whatever that may be. Uh, so I'm, I am a little bit curious. Uh, and being that the case was that we, we mostly talked about market research when it comes to develop, developing product and knowing who your customer is, what that sort of process looks like today. And of course, this is a very general question. So more specifically, uh, how, do, how, does a, how does a brand that does not have the data, you know, or the existing customer to know like, okay, this is the, this is the person that I'm going to base my product around. How do you come across what product you're going to create? Does it come through market research or market analysis or where it comes more about, you know, what am I trying to create? Um, that's a good question. I think it comes with what you're trying to, what are you trying to do, right? Huh. What are you trying to create? What, who are you trying to service? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you, you have to know that if you're a brand that doesn't, if you're starting a brand or you're looking to start a brand, you have to ask, ask yourself some fundamental questions. Mm -hmm. who, who are you trying to serve? What market are you trying to reach and what are their needs so that you can reach them, right? Mm -hmm. You can't, you can throw lots of different things out there, but really what is it going to be that's going to stick with them as something that's going to serve a need that they have or that you see, or you can do it in a way if it's out in the market today, mm -hmm. what makes yours unique and different, you awesome. know, and, and how does that come to life? Awesome. And when it comes to the amount of products that you should be, you should be, uh, you should be going for into developing, this is links back to a question that I asked earlier in the podcast episode yeah. as well. You know, if you're a startup, you don't have the res both the, you know, people, whatever, you just don't have the resources to, uh, develop product as quickly or develop a, a vast amount of different products. What approach should you have? Should you focus on sort of getting really, really good at one type of product and creating your brand around that product? Or should you really be putting a lot of effort into really diversifying the amount of products that you're having? If your customer, of course, is looking for a couple for different products. Um, that's a great question. And I'm going to reference. So um, if you haven't read it, you should read it. Um, I read over the summer, I read Shoe Dog. Mm -hmm. um, which is the Nike story. It's Phil Knight's book about starting Nike. Mm -hmm. um, and it's fascinating because they really started with a shoe, with one mm -hmm. shoe. 
and it wasn't even their own shoe. Um, and they built it and they worked on everything they did. They built for excellence um, for one consumer and they started in one market. And mm -hmm. then once that caught hold, they were able to then start to expand to build others, you know? And so you see that come into life and, and that is, um, you know, it was a great example of, you know, taking one idea and growing it and making it bigger that is relevant. And now we see the, what that means to the world because Nike went from being, you know, someone else's shoe made in Japan, you know, produced and sold by these guys all, mm -hmm. you know, running around into a brand that is now so large. It's, you know, one of the most loved brands and, you know, to serve a consumer need. And now they serve it in every sport and for casual wear and for everything that you need to do. And so I think it's, I think it's just interesting. I think the more you can focus mm -hmm. and be specific and get it right and get and redo it until you get it right. Mm -hmm. um, the better for those that are starting out, there are some brands who can't do that because they're already so big. They're doing all these different things. They're innovating in different ways and they need to yeah, create need new, new venues and yeah. yeah, they're doing, they're doing it differently. But if you're looking to build something and you're able to serve and focus, you can do that um, more so than trying to build an entire little portfolio product portfolio that you then try to launch you can mm -hmm. do that too um i just i think sometimes the brands that seem to have the most staying power that seem the most successful really focused and started with one thing mm -hmm. and then grew from there wow that's awesome and it, it also gives you a very strong sense of identity right because you know what you're about and I as long so, as yeah. as long as you remember that you know as long as 20 years and you still remember what you were about from the very, very beginning, you'll, you'll always have some sort of sense of direction. Agreed. Awesome. Well, Kelly, uh, that pretty much wraps up, uh, the episode for today. It's been a very, very dense episode. So, uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will be very, very happy about all the information that they've learned today. I've learned a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things today, so I can't thank you enough for it. I do want to ask you a last hard question though, because by this point, you probably know that that's what I'm about okay, uh, before it. we wrap this up. And this is, you know, if you could go back to maybe when, before you even started your, your career in fashion, just pick, pick a moment in time that best works for you. If you could go back in time and, and give your, your, your younger version of yourself a, a piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be and why? And it can be a professional or personal. Oh, Esteban, that is such a good question. And you know, I, I swear I've thought about this so mm -hmm. many times and I've always meant to have like the answer that I would say, and I, and I don't, I'm, mm -hmm. it's terrible. Um, you know, if I, if I had to give myself any advice, it would be, let me think to just stay open mm -hmm. and to be open and curious and continue and not feel like you have to have everything mapped out and everything planned out because sometimes things don't work out that way and you kind of have to go with the moment mm -hmm. um, and really be in that moment and, and expand for as much as you can without trying to always think forward and future and, and, um, and ahead. I think that would be something that for myself uh, would have been good reminder <laughs> back, mm -hmm. you know, when I was starting and I was always like, okay, great. I did this. Now what do I do next? What do I do next? And you're like, yeah. oh, wait, don't miss, don't miss the moment. Don't miss yeah. that opportunity in the moment that you're in because 
you don't get that back. You know, time doesn't move backwards. It only moves forward. So yeah, you have to awesome. celebrate the here and now. Yep. That's awesome. And yeah, and I mean, I personally would change that. Sometimes things go wrong to like most of the times things yeah. go wrong. <laughs> That's true but, too. So, yeah. So that, that even, that even, that even just, <laughs> that uh dives down the the point that you just said a lot a lot better uh it, but awesome awesome though it was it's really really good piece of advice i know i would personally say that to myself as well um uh, and yeah uh just to wrap this whole thing up i can't thank you enough for being here with uh with us today it was truly an incredible episode and i would love to have you back here in the future esteban thank you so much this was a joy for me to get to do i hope that um you know, I can remember some of the hard questions and, you know, challenge myself as I go forward into my day and into, you know, building new things. But thank you so much. I would love to come back and um, chat again on whatever you want to talk about. And I'll be prepared. I'll wear lightweight clothes so that I don't, you know, get nervous. Okay. From all the tough questions. Awesome, Kelly. Thank you very much. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye.